Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. There's a little boy named Billy. His parents kindly informed him that his school was doing a one-mile fun run and that he would be participating in it. I don't know if for you, one mile and fun run go together, but uh, for Billy, that was what he was told was going to be happening. So the, the day of the, the school race, he and all of these other little kids that are kindergarten, TK, first, second, third grade are all, all on the, the track ready to start their one-mile fun run. <laughs> and the, the whistle sounds and, and all pandemonium breaks loose. And there's a certain group of kids that are, are sprinting as fast as their little four-year-old legs can carry them at, at, straight from the finish line and not having no idea how long a mile is. And they're just going to go. And about a quarter of the way around the track, they just start falling over into the grass. And <laughs> they're, they're ready to be done. But, but not Billy. Billy keeps going around the track. And, and as he, he comes to, to the, the finish line, he's made his way all the way around. He, in his little four-year-old mind, the equivalent of the chariots of fire is going off. And he's, he's hearing it, that soundtrack in his mind as he's going. And everybody's yelling at him. And there's people waving at him. And he's, he's coming across the finish line. And he, he stops the finish line. And everybody's still waving at him. And and he's just ready to pass out right then and there. But his parents inform him that there's three more laps to go. <laughs> you're, you're not done yet. And at that point, the four-year-old bully has a nuclear meltdown at the finish line and just collapses in the grass with the rest of the kids. <laughs> Today we're talking about how as followers of Christ, we have to keep on keeping on. I don't know about you, but there have definitely been times in my life where I have completely underestimated how long the track was. <laughs> there have been times in my life where I have completely misjudged the amount of effort that I need to be putting in. I, sometimes there is a, a feeling of, God, if you could just tell me how long this event in my life is going to last then that's all I need, and, and I can keep going with that. You know, if we look back a couple of years to when, when sheltering in place was, was a thing, and we're like, well, maybe, maybe it's just for a day. Maybe we'll just do this for like a couple of days. Maybe it's just a week. And then you're like, God, if I just knew like how long I was gonna need to shelter in place, like if we just said, we all know that after three months, it, it is 100% gonna be done. I can guarantee you that the world at large would have been a much different place. It would have been like, okay, yeah, we can do that. But the, the fact of not knowing, not being able to, to put our, our, our thought and our, our mind into when it is going to end, it, it makes it difficult for us. And you start to underestimate how long the track is having an idea of how long we are going to need to persevere 
can help us psychologically measure the effort of, of what is to come, right? If I just knew how far, if I just knew how much, if I just knew how long, if I just knew, you know, to, to kind of carry the theme of the race that my dad and I have done a, a few hundred mile bike rides. And the first hundred mile bike ride that you do, you, you're like, man, it sure feels like I've done a hundred miles, but it only says I've done 45. <laughs> Thankfully, and really to, to that exa- example and that point is we, we have these little computers on our bike that it's just a little screen that tells you how far you've gone so that you know, well, even though it feels like you've only gone 100 miles, you still have 65 to go, so you better buck it up. <laughs> there are going to be those times in our lives when we think that we're all finished, when we think we have gotten to the point of, I am all done. The chariots of fire have have sounded and I am am ready to be finished. And God says, you know, there's a a little bit more left. You still have a little bit of a ways to go. And, And at that moment, we have a choice. We do. At that moment, we have a choice. We can pull a billy and we can just melt down at the finish line and say, no, I'm done. (laughs) I refuse to go any further. Or we can choose to, to keep on keeping on. And if we're honest, if we look at our lives, how many of us have done both? Discipleship, the, the process of sanctification, right? The, the being, being saved. That's a marathon, it's not anything that, that you, you just go through and, and have a sprint. Christian maturity is a matter of, of progression, and it, unfortunately, it's not a matter of perfection. <laughs> we we are, are not going to be at that point where we get to say, I have arrived. You guys can all just look like me now, and it'll be fine. As we follow Jesus, we gradually grow closer to him through personal discipleship. No matter how many miles I have logged following Jesus, I will never be at a point where I am so spiritually mature that I can say, well, I'm, I'm finished now. I, I have put in enough good work to, to now everybody can just, just go on ahead. I am ready to coast. Oliver and I are, are uh, kind of working on riding bikes together right now, and, and one of the things that he's learning is that you can't just coast all the time. You actually have to pedal, because if you don't pedal, then you just fall over. <laughs> and so it's a, a, a new thing that we're learning. <laughs> and that's especially true when you try to go uphill, because if you try to coast when you're going uphill, you just fall over. And so it's, it's a learning process. But sometimes we we do that. Sometimes we look back at our previous successes and say, man, I did really good like a year ago. My my spiritual life was solid like a year ago. Like last month, man, I was rocking it. How are you doing today? Well, did you not hear I was doing good a year ago? (laughs) Maybe... There are those of us that are here this morning that feel like they should be beyond the struggle that they're at. They should be 
beyond the, the hardship that they were facing a month ago, a year ago, you know, a week ago. Maybe there are some that feel like they should be more mature in, in their, their faith. They should have been reading the Bible more than they, they should have been. They should, maybe should have been praying more than they should have been. If that's you, just stick with me for just a minute, okay? God has a, a word for us that are, that are in that place, that are, are looking back at, at the things that have gone on in your life. God is not through with you yet. God has a, a plan for your life. If we look at Philippians 3, 12 through 16, it says, now that I have, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. And when he says this, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about the glorification, right? Being eternally with Jesus. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. We're called to press on. As we mentioned earlier this morning, maturity in, in our, our walk with Christ is a matter of, it's a progression. It's, it's something that, that will grow and mature over time. It's not something that, that we hit that specific point and we say, I have arrived. That, that point of arrival is when I'm standing in front of Jesus. Paul says, not that I am already perfect. You know, it would be really easy to put Paul up on a pedestal. I mean, when you, if Paul was in front of us today and he said, hey, this is how I think your church should run, most of us would probably be like, okay, let's do what Paul says. If Paul's giving instruction, if he's giving guidance, and most of us are going to say, yeah, I think Paul probably knows what he's talking about, so let's do what Paul has to say. That's what was happening in the church at that time. But Paul recognizes, I'm not perfect. There have been plenty of times in my life where I have done wrong things. I'm not going to attain perfection. I'm not going to attain salvation, uh, glorification with Christ until I'm in front of Jesus. But what we see in the life of Paul is that that absence of perfection doesn't mean that he stops trying, right? Right? That absence of perfection is to say, well, I, I'm never going to get there, so why should I try anyway? What's the point? He says, I, I press on, I, I pursue to, to make that salvation my own. Not that I'm going to earn it, but I, I live a life that is striving for it because Christ made me his own. And if Christ is going to make me his own, then why shouldn't I make him my own? Why shouldn't my life reflect that? No one is expecting you to be perfect. We know you. <laughs> okay? Sorry. We know you. We're, we can't expect you to be perfect because we would just be constantly let down. 
If you guys were expecting me to be perfect, man, that would last for all of like five seconds. And you'd be like, (laughs) (laughs) just because you can't be perfect doesn't mean that you get to be lazy. There's two different words that that on the surface feel like they, they maybe mean something similar, but they're very different. And what we see here is this, this direction that we're not supposed to be a complacent follower of Christ. And when we say complacent, what does that mean? Lazy kind of fits in that, that definition a little bit. We're not supposed to just be sitting back and say, you guys saw what I did last month. We're, we're good. No, we're, we're not supposed to just sit back and say, well, God saved me, so I, there's nothing else that needs to happen. No, the salvation that we have received is supposed to be life-changing. If I have truly been, been saved and been called a child of God, then shouldn't my, my life, shouldn't my words, shouldn't the actions that come out of me reflect that? And it, if that's the case, then how can I be a complacent follower of Christ? No, th- there's participation that's needed. And so when we, we think about that for a moment, There's two things that can come. There can be conviction or there can be condemnation. And these are the the two words that I was talking about that are are similar. And I want to talk about them for just a minute. Conviction and and condemnation, they can both feel similar sometimes. Conviction is from God. And it's it's necessary for there to be joy in our life. And, and that's the, the series topic that we're going over, right? Is that it, through the book of Philippians, we see that there is everyday joy that is available for the follower of Jesus. It's not everyday happiness. It's everyday joy in the midst of the hardships and the difficulties that you face. Conviction is something that we should be pursuing, that we want to cultivate in our lives. Condemnation is from Satan. It's a lie that needs to be resisted and needs to be done away with. How do you tell the difference between the two in your own life? Condemnation is usually this this hazy, hateful, hopeless feeling that exists in your life. And when Satan brings feelings of condemnation to a, a Christian, it's vague. You're, you're looking back at your life and saying, that, that whole area of my life is something that, that I'm just not good enough. I can't measure up. There's this general thought that, that there's something wrong with me. And typically, condemnation brings uh, along its, its good partner, shame. There's a definition that I found online that I I think fits well. It says that that shame means feeling bad about who I am, whereas guilt means feeling bad about what I've done. It's, It's good to have a distinction between what it means to feel guilty and what it means to feel ashamed. Condemnation often traffics in these hazy, vague, feelings of shame. I'm just, I'm not good enough. Conviction 
is, is almost in most ways the opposite of condemnation. Conviction is clarity. If you're feeling convicted about something, you're being convicted about something very, very specific in your life. You don't feel convicted about just things. Conviction exists in my life in a, a very clear, specific way where condemnation can feel like a, a cloud of shame hanging over you. Conviction is very specific. It's, I need to stop watching this particular show that I've been watching. It's, it's I need to stop having this type of conversation. I need to stop going to this particular website. I need to stop doing this thing this very specific thing that exists in my life because the Holy Spirit's telling me that it is not healthy for me to grow, for me to go in that process of becoming more like Christ. Conviction is specific enough to give me a direction forward. That direction forward is repentance. And again, repentance is never just, I'm sorry, now I'm going to go back to doing the thing that I was doing before. Repentance is, I'm sorry, and now I'm going to turn from that thing that I have been convicted of to change my life to now be more like Christ. Conviction is rooted in love, not hate. God loves you. He wants the best for you. He brings conviction into your life to convince you of a better way. Conviction gets our attention to protect us, to bless us. If I discipline my young child for running towards a busy street, not knowing what that means, that discipline, that correction comes from love. That discipline, that correction comes from a desire to see the best for them. We should be overwhelmingly grateful for the conviction and the correction that comes from the Holy Spirit because in that conviction, in that correction comes that process of becoming more like Christ. Knowing you. I want to know Christ, right? That was, that was the verse that we looked at last week. I want to know Christ. And in knowing Christ, I want to become more like him. I'm going to press on to make glorification, to, to make eternal life my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. That's, that's what Paul is saying. Paul isn't talking about earning salvation. He's talking about what our response to this free gift of salvation should be. It's so easy to forget that there is, there is this instance where there was a choice that had to be made. And that choice was, how are we going to, what, what is our response going to be to the issue of sin in the lives of our creation? This is that God in three persons 
saying that this is, this is what is going to happen to this creation that we are going to create. They are going to make a choice to step away from us, to, to fall away from us, to choose sin, to choose death and the grave. What is our response going to be? Are we going to just let that happen and come up with a plan B? Or is there going to be a sacrifice that is going to be made? I mean, none of this is obviously documented. I wasn't there. Nobody else was there. But, but Christ came running to make us his own. And so why wouldn't we run after him to make him ours? We're to look ahead. You will never, ever, ever move forward if you continually look back. Forgetting what lies behind. That's what what Paul says. Paul is looking forward. Paul had made some pretty big mistakes in his life. If we stop for a second and you look at the mistakes that Paul made. Go all the way back. So Paul's five years old. Paul makes whatever mistakes a five-year-old makes. Paul grows up. He becomes a, a, a young man. He becomes a teenager. Before we ever see or hear about him in the book of Acts, he, we, we see still all of these mistakes that exist in every single teenage boy's life. That was just the stuff that, that every single person screws up on. And now we get to the things that were, were big enough to be documented for all of the world and all of history to remember. So now we get to the, the mistakes of, of Paul hunting down and murdering missionaries and pastors that were following Christ as he is trying to follow the law that has been set before him by the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Paul has made mistakes in his life. And not only has he made mistakes, he has made such mistakes that they have needed to be documented for all of history. What if Paul became so focused on the mistakes that he had made that he allowed those mistakes, he allowed those wrong choices, that sin to disqualify him from serving Jesus? What if? Well, what if doesn't matter because he didn't. But that's the reminder for us this morning. Hopefully, most of us haven't really gone to that point of, of going out and murdering missionaries and pastors. If we have, we probably need to have a conversation after church. But the point to be seen here is that regardless of what exists in your life, you cannot disqualify yourself from being used in the kingdom of God. You cannot disqualify yourself from serving Jesus Christ. There are a number of different races that exist when we look at track and field, and there's one that I think requires potentially the, the most psychological training. 
It's somebody who jumps over the hurdle. When that racer is running and they're, they're jumping over that first hurdle and they miss and they knock the hurdle down, they have a choice right there in that moment and it's a split second choice. I can choose to either think about what I just did or I can choose to continue looking forward and make my, all of my effort, all of my energy, all of my mindset, all of my focus on this next hurdle that's right in front of me. And if they knock that one over, they then have another choice that they have to make in a split second. I can either choose to think of the two that I've just knocked over, or I can choose to continue to put all of my focus and energy just on what's in front of me. And if you are that person that is continually looking back at what you have done wrong, at the mistakes you have made, then you are gonna run through every single hurdle and knock them all over. If a racer knocks over that first hurdle, it has to be removed from their minds. It has to be learned from. I didn't lift my foot the right way. I didn't, I didn't come up. My form needed to be corrected in this particular way. And because of that, now I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to address it and apply it to my life going forward. And now I'm going to be successful in what I have endeavored to do. I love when we get to talk about track and field, when we get to talk about races and endurance and things. There's just so much that is a direct correlation to the, a walk with Christ. This is like easy layups for pastors. <laughs> and so if we translate that from, from track and field to our, our life as we're following Christ, as we make those mistakes, we can choose to, to dwell in them or we can choose to learn from them. One of the, the things that, that I frequently and regularly tell the, the people that work under me that I, that I direct and manage is that when you make a mistake, the only thing we're going to get out of that mistake is the lesson to be learned. The only thing we're going to get out of what you just did wrong is how we can do better next time. And so let's get that, by golly, because that's the only thing that I'm going to get out of it. It's not like I'm going to get more money out of it. I'm not going to get our time back from the mistake that you made. I'm not going to get the goodwill from my client back that, that we just upset. None of that is going to come back. The only thing that I can get out of this mistake at this point is the lesson to be learned and how we can improve going forward. For those of you that don't know, I'm a, a director in an IT company, and I deal with, with my uh, my team that, that I manage, and then we also deal with all of the clients that, and the relationships that we manage there. And so it's, it's frequent that there are, are mistakes that are made. It's because we're human. And so we can choose to, to get mad and to, to yell and to, to scream about whatever the mistake is that has been made, or we can choose to learn and move on past regrets and past successes can become our, our greatest enemy when it comes to keeping on. 
Success isn't guaranteed, even if you've been successful in the past. And sometimes that, that can become a distraction. That can be something that you start dwelling on. Well, I, I've, I've always been able to do this well. And so that means I'm always going to do this well. And sometimes those, those obstacles in our life can become just as much, the successes in our life can become obstacles just as much as a failure can if we are viewing them in the wrong way. It's okay to, to acknowledge the success that's happening in your life. It's, it's okay to be thankful for the areas where Christ has given you victory. You shouldn't assume that you're going to repeat it, though. We're called to hold true. God's will has never been for us to settle in a stagnant faith. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Do you really think that God's will for your life, God's desire and plan for your life is for you to be boring? Is for your walk with him, your relationship with him to be boring and stagnant and slow and dull? Of course not. Who would want that, right? And if I'm not growing, if I'm not, not excelling in the life that God has planned for me, God's going to reveal that to me. God will show that to me, and he's going to show me how to get there. He will show you how to get there. We are dependent on the, the revelation from Christ in order to grow spiritually. And so there's kind of a, a logical progression that we have to make here then. If, if that's the case, if we're dependent on God to reveal to us the areas that we need to grow, then that means that we probably need to be listening to God to, for him to tell us how we need to grow, right? And if that's the case, if we need to be listening, we probably need to be creating opportunities in our life for Christ to speak to us, which means we probably need to be reading his word. We need to be allowing the, the word of God to speak into my life. And church, it's not like it's this hidden verse that you have to like flip to the right page, fold it in half, and then like say a special prayer over it. No, I mean, the verses are right there. Romans twelve eighteen. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, not everyone, right? Just like, just the people that look like me. <laughs> Hebrews twelve fourteen. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Like, this is not like get out your decoder ring type of stuff. This is, this is pretty clear. Ephesians 5, 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because that these are improper for God's holy people. We're not supposed to do those things, it says. Hebrews eleven six and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We're supposed to have faith, it says. 
I mean, this was just like me pointing to a couple of verses and saying, hey, what does it say here? If we wanted to get the exhaustive list, we could probably find one. And it, it's probably going to be on almost every single page of the Bible. There are very clear directions on what it means to live a life that reflects Jesus Christ. I'm not going to mature by just having the Bible app on my phone. I'm not going to become more like Christ just because I decided to show up to church for the you know, hour or two that, that we're devoting on a Sunday morning. That does not automatically say, well, Matt showed up and got his attendance for the day, so let's go ahead and push him along the road to becoming more like me. No, that's not what this is about. First Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And God has revealed them to us by his spirit. We're called to accept where we are right now and to not live in condemnation because I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. I am no longer condemned to the, the consequences of sin and death in the grave. Jesus Christ is taking care of that for me. We're going to be coming to the communion table this morning. The blood of Jesus has removed condemnation from my life. Amen? Amen. And so instead of focusing on where I am right now, I can allow conviction to, to do the work that the Holy Spirit is trying to do to point out those areas in my life that says, hey, I'm supposed to live at peace with everyone. Why aren't you leaving at peace with that person? Did you see what they just put on Facebook? How could I live at peace with them? That's not what we're supposed to say. <laughs> Yeah, but, but you don't understand. They, they say these things. They're, they're mean to me. It doesn't say live at peace with people who are nice to you. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Accept where you are right now and continue forward. Keep on keeping on. Pursue sanctification in your life, that, that being, being saved. When we look at the communion table, when we look at the process. Christ is, is at the table with his disciples. And what we see in that moment is a very finite, very specific point in time. And I love when you get to see those very specific points in time that reflect decisions that are made by God. Eternity past. And 
you know, I, I don't want to be weird about it, but it's just interesting when you think that, you know, that decision that was made, that, that Jesus Christ was going to be the sacrifice for my sin. That he was going to come and pay the price so that I wouldn't be stuck where I am and so that there wouldn't be condemnation that exists in my life. That he was going to come and, and do away with all of those things. That he was going to conquer sin and death in the grave. There was a decision that was made and then there was this very specific point in time where he got to announce it. He got to come and say, this is my body. This is what I have planned for since the very beginning. This is what I have been longing for. To make a way for all of you in eternity past, the current time and eternity future. This is my way. This is my plan. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 27, it says, For I received from the Lord also what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. This is my body that I have planned since the beginning of time to make available to you. And he broke it. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's see. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, and do it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And again, we see this finite point in history, this finite point in time where Christ is saying that old covenant that existed that was given to Moses out of the, the burning bush that was given to them in the, the desert as they were wandering, the promise that I made to my people has been fulfilled. And it hasn't been fulfilled through the blood of goats and the blood of, of sheep and, and cows and all of this. It has been fulfilled by the blood of Jesus, by my blood that I am going to pour out for the sins of my people. And whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of what I have done and proclaim what I've done until I come back. That's, that's the commandment that we have been given. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time. Lord, it is so easy for us to slip into those feelings of stagnation, into those habits, those, those times of being complacent. God, we come this morning and we proclaim we want to know you. God, I want to hear your voice. I want to know who you are. I want to see you move in the lives of your people. 
I don't want to see you move in my life. God, as we come and we participate in, in your communion, God, that is just one more step in us knowing you in us recognizing and celebrating a sacrifice that was made. God, we thank you that, that you were always, you were always ready to save us. God, as we move to our ministry time, I ask that you would, would move in the circumstances and move in the, the lives of your people this morning. You would provide where there needs to be provision. You would heal where there needs to be healing. God, that you would show your face to your people. God, as we come together as a family to proclaim the needs of a family, we ask that you would meet those needs. God, we come and we pray specifically for the country of Ukraine. God, we ask that you would would intervene in those situations, God, that you are, are bigger than any nation, God. You are bigger than any head of state. Lord, that in the midst of this conflict that your love would reign supreme. In the midst of this conflict that your grace would be shown. God, we ask for protection for those that are in the midst of this struggle. We ask that you would provide, that you would rescue God, it's so easy for us to, to just turn a blind eye or to, to remain focused on the needs or the desires that exist in our own life. But Lord, we ask that you would make us mindful of the struggles that are going on in your church and other parts of this world. God, I ask for strength in the, the four square churches of the Ukraine and in Russia, God, that you would bind them together. Not just four square, Lord, but, but your church. God, that you would come alongside those leaders and in the midst of uh, national disunity, that you would bring unity in your body. God, that the common denominator between Russia and Ukraine would be you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 